Remember the first time you saw a race car on an open trailer? Maybe it was full of dirt, tire marks, and other battle scars. You wondered where it had been, and more importantly, where it was going next. Every open trailer has a story, and we're here to tell it. Welcome to the Open Trailer Podcast. If I were to share with you that Ralph Nason, the Ralph Nason, started out as a timid individual, would you believe me? Well, Ralph gets into his early days on stage one of three in the season finale of Open Trailer Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Austin. This podcast does benefit Maine Vintage Race Car Association. MVRCA preserves the history of racing in the state of Maine. There are a few ways you can support our mission. Number one, become a member. Membership is how we're able to continue to do what we do. And you can do so for less than $2 a month. There are family memberships. There's a lifetime membership. Membership, membership, membership. I cannot stress it enough. MainVintageRace.org. That's MainVintageRace.org. Okay, so one of the biggest stories in Maine racing is the kit car. Ralph Nason brought the kit car to prominence in the mid-70s. And he was lights out. He was winning races every week. Now that 50 years have passed and many have not even seen or barely heard of the kit car, it's kind of a mythical thing. So along with Steve Pellerin and Pete Silva, we break down what the kit car was, which was incredibly groundbreaking, how it wasn't always what everyone wanted, and how it became one of the most important race vehicles in main racing history. I hope you have even a fraction of the fun I had sitting down with Ralph and hearing <laughs> hearing about everything from the horse's mouth. Let's get into stage number one. Racing Ralph Nason. I've heard it. We've all heard it for decades. Who came up with the name? <laughs> I don't have a clue. You still uh, know? Yes, I do. I'll, hmm. I'll take that back. One of my, probably my first crew chief guy uh, came up with that, Bob Lindsay. Oh, wow. Way, way, way back. And uh, and he had a couple others. One was a nasty Nason. <laughs> and uh, what the hell was the other one? But anyway. Racing Ralph, yeah, that yeah. was, and that may have been. It was either Bob Lindsay or Reggie Faulkner, which was my sponsor for years, which was a partner chainsaw guy, hmm. and uh, probably probably was Reggie. And the nasty nation came from uh, Bobby Lindsay, and that was way back in our first bunch of cars, and uh, that was a that's a that's a good item to talk about is I had a golf station in Hamden yeah. and uh, we was racing Speedway 95 and I got wrecked the week before and uh, so and back then you got wrecked more than you finished that's the way the racing was and uh, you know stuff wasn't very good you know but uh, anyway Bobby was driving a 56 a 56 Ford two door hardtop and uh, anyway he said I said well we're trying to find a car. He said, well, let's take mine and we'll put the bars in it. And on Friday afternoon when we quit working, 
we put some roll bars in Bobby's 56 Ford. And we drove it Saturday afternoon. We drove it over to Speedway 95, which was only six miles. And we drove it to the races. We raced it in the race, won the race, and drove it home. Wow. Yeah, it was wow. fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. What made you want to race? What drew oh, you to that it? that was crazy. <laughs> they, uh, I never really thought that I was going to do that kind of stuff. I... I was always a hell of a hot rod, and I wanted to go fast. How many speeding tickets you get by the oh, time you don't were... don't talk about them. No. I got... The, oh, terrible. Yeah. I think I have 38 on my record. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. 38, I think. Yeah. And uh, it's been terrible over the years. Yeah. What were you interested in in, in school? Uh, was it just... Was it mechanical stuff? Uh, not really, no. no. <laughs> uh, I was a pretty good mechanic right from the time I was probably... 10, 11, or 12 years old. My father was uh, uh, pretty instrumental in repairing cars, his own car, and and he'd line me up with my car when it was broke, and he'd help me fix it, you know, mm. and he'd show me. And I mean, when I was 15, uh, I had a 47 Pontiac, and then I had a Studebaker pickup, and I couldn't keep transmissions in them. Hmm. And my father's name was Louis, And uh, so anyhow, we'd drive it in the dooryard and jack it up, put blocks under it, and pull the transmission out. And he'd tip it over, and we'd tear that transmission. Unbelievable. And I mean, I'm 15 years old, maybe. Hmm. And uh, we put whatever it put, put it back together, and it would work. Do you, so remember, pretty good. Do you remember the first time you were at a race? We was racing uh, we, this... I was selling winds friction proofing back then. We was down here. A friend of mine had a golf station in Bangor, and Dave Libby, which was from Portland, Scarborough, somewhere down there, he was a winds guy. Well, I got tied up for the winds deal, and Dave came up and kind of went over because he he was kind of a partner with this Stan Davis out of Massachusetts but but he had the state of Maine he was in control of it and so this was going to fall onto him so he came up here going to see if you know maybe get somebody that could sell that stuff and uh, so anyway he came up and went over it and he says and if you have any racetracks in your area he said it's a good place to go and I said why's that he said well let me show you and we was in the garage somewhere and uh, he took a number 10 coffee can and it was right completely full of holes. He took a ice pit, mm. had eighty or hundred holes in the bottom of that can, like a one like a one gallon can. And he went over that tire thing where they check tires for leaks, scooped it up, and you can imagine what it looked like, just coming out of there like holy hell. Mm. And he had a spoonful of this winds radiator sealer, and he put it in there and stirred it like that, and it stopped just like it got hit with a bolt of lightning. Wow! Bang. That's right. That's exactly what was said. And I said, wow. And Davey thought it was like, because he, he was in, he'd been in it quite a while. Yeah. And uh, anyway, he thought it was great. So so we made a good relationship, and I wound up going to work for Wins mm. and selling Wins. And uh, so, and he came, I talked with him every, oh, once, two or three times a week. And he said, did you go find a racetrack? And I said, well, the only one running right close to me. And he said, well, you better get down there. So... I tell him Wayne Philbrook, the guy friend of mine that had the, the mobile station, and uh, he said, I'll go with you. We'll go. So we came down here. Went down to there. Unity. 
Huh? Unity or 95? Unity. Yep. Unity. What, and, year uh, you, what year do you think that was, Ralph? Any idea? 60. How old were you? Do you remember? 25. So you're probably 1965. 24 or 5 years old. Yeah. Somewhere around there. Had I known at that time what was going to happen to me, I'd have started when I was 16. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, because I had I had such a love for doing this. And uh, Pete had the same thing. Yeah. And uh, But uh, it's like... So we came down here, and we're seeing these guys. And Wayne, he's enjoying it, having a hell of a time. And uh, I didn't sell anything. Nobody needed any radiated sealer. <laughs> and even though they were all junk in right. these cars. Yeah. But uh, so Libby said, David, he said, I sell a lot of stuff over there. Well, wasn't happening here. Hmm. But Wayne says, we ought to have one of these cars. And I said, mm, yes, what are you we. talking about? He said, well, he says, I'll go half and we'll buy one. And there was two or three running around with for sale signs on them. Yeah. So you wouldn't believe it. So anyway, we're going down there and this guy goes by and he's got a for sale sign on his car. So I drove away. I walked over there to his pit area there. And it was Arthur Richards from up in Bradford, Maine. And it was an old Ford Coupe with a flathead in it. We dragged it home. It was, he had a tow bar on it that hooked on to the back of the pickup and uh, whatever, and we towed it home with a tow bar and worked on it. And I said, first, I says, we're going to put this money up. Who's going to drive this thing? Oh, I'm going to drive it, he said. I'm going to drive it. (laughs) Good, Good, because I'm not driving it. You didn't want to drive? No, no. Okay. And uh, so anyway, we took it home. We worked on it. Wayne didn't do a lot of work on it because he was in Bangor and I was in Newburgh. For two or three weeks, Wayne drove it, and I'd stand on the bank, and I'd watch him, and I'd come in, and I'd say, what's wrong with it? Nothing. He says, I'm going like hell. I says, you're going like hell, but you're coming in last. And I says, not only that, you're trying to come in last twice. I said, you know what that means? It means you are slow. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, is uh, he said, well, if you think. I said, no, I ain't doing that. And uh, so anyway... This guy I knew was going by there. He came from my way, Danny Stimus. And he didn't have a race car. His was broke down. The motor was gone. Mm. So anyway, I said, you want to try this, Danny? Sure. And uh, so he went over to his car and got his helmet. And he came over and funny helmet. It was all leather. (laughs) Unbelievable. This is leather helmet. That's how they had. That's what they had back then. Like old style football helmets. Yeah, it wasn't even a football. This was leather. Yep. (laughs) So anyway, he got in it, and he definitely was faster. Yeah. But for two weeks, and maybe maybe three, but two or three weeks, he drove it, and he'd come in, and I'd say, "What can I do? What can we do? We want to be part of the action." You know, we don't want to run around there on the tail end of this thing. That's but he wasn't at least going down a lap in a heat race. You know, he right. was keeping up with some. And uh, I take that thing back home, and my father-in-law's name was Maynard. And he'd work on it, and he'd say, look, this thing is just right. And I'd go in the crossroad with it, and I'm telling you that it was it was 125 over flathead with a good camshaft, all wore out. Yeah. And uh, and we, I had five cans of motor honey in it to keep it from smoking. You know, it was that bad. And, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we, <laughs> I'd go in that crossroad, and I'd come back out. And then we'd drag it down here at the racetrack, and he'd go out there, and he'd go chug a bug a bug a bug around there. Yeah. Oh, son of a bitch. After the third time, 
he came in and I said, that's it. I said, I'm driving it. And they wanted to line me up because I was new. They wanted, oh, stick me up front. And I said, no, you ain't doing that. And that was Joe Lewis, what I told you the other day. And uh, he's a good guy. And uh, I said, I'll sat on the back. And I did. And I couldn't believe it, but I talked about this. And Peter was the same story. It was happening to him with a foot. You couldn't hold your foot on the gas pedal. You're so, so wound so up. Nervous. So nervous. Yeah. The first time, I couldn't, could not stop it. And But you know when that green flag dropped? That stopped. Wow. And I think I passed two or three cars that day. And I come in, and Wayne said, well, you didn't do very good. And I, I said, no. I says, Lita wasn't right behind me, though. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, <laughs> and that went the next week, and uh, Joe says, well, I'm going to put you up front. And I said, you ain't putting me up front. So and, I just want to interject. I, I want to know why. Uh, was it custom for promoters or race directors to put the new guys up front in front of yeah, everybody? Low why? points, and that's what they did. So yeah. even if you were new, they wouldn't start you out back? No, even if you knew, most of the time you start up front. And they wanted, what they were trying to do, they were trying to give somebody a chance. Oh. You know, uh, what have you. But probably brand new guys, uh, ever since back, way, way back, mm. ever since then, now they sat them in the back for two or three events, you know, yeah. whatever. And I mean, I was, that was always fair. Right. You know, these guys are doing well and they're getting a few bucks out of it. And these guys are doing terrible and they're going broke. So this is a chance for them to get a few bucks, right. you know. So how did and that first race go? I mean, every, your nerves settle once you take the green nerves flag. Nerves settle once a green flag you hit. Yeah. I think it probably is uh, mind over matter. You know, all of a sudden you're so busy doing whatever yeah. that that's, that isn't part of it. But after the second race, uh, I was like halfway up through the field. Wow. The second week. I, I mean, that's where I finished. And I, back then... I think we had 24 or 5 cars in every damn one, every damn race. Was this the first year that Unity was paved, or was it still dirt? Uh, it might have been the first one or the second one. No. I'm not so sure. it was paved. He paved it in 65. Yeah. So you didn't race on the dirt, you raced No, on never asphalt. on the dirt here. I raced on the, on the dirt once in Exeter. I never raced on the dirt down here. And uh, so anyway, is the next week... Uh, Joe Lewis came over because he was a handicapper in the pit, you know, and he was lining up the cars. Him and I can't remember his name still today. What the hell, the guy? You know what I'm talking about? Mollison, Jimmy Mollison. Jimmy Mollison, yes. And uh, anyway, is he'd say in his Irish brogue, uh, "You're gonna start in the front tonight, not today." And, uh, and he'd done that two weeks in a row. And I said, when he said that, I said, "I'd just as soon be up there somewhere." And he started me, I think, fourth. So, second outside. Mm. So, now these guys that was in front of me, I'd been passing them. Mm. And I'd had some practicing times, too, you know, so I knew what my old guy was doing. And uh, so, anyway, is they threw the green flag, and I don't know what happened to them guys, but they were slow anyway. And all of a sudden, I drifted out by, and I'm in the lead. Wow. And, uh, oh. You talk about running scared because I knew they were coming, you know, mm -hmm. and I put the pedal to the metal and man, I never looked back and, and nobody was catching me, but I didn't know it because the mirror went sideways and I couldn't see nothing. And so anyway, is when it came down to the end and I'm saying nobody's caught me, but it went wire to wire that day. So when I think they was, I can't remember. 20, 25 laps, 30, I don't know. It wasn't a lot. 
Probably 25 laps, and uh, and we won the race. First one I won. What was that feeling like? That was like I couldn't wait for the weekend to come for the next race, mm-hmm. and it stayed that way for 50-some-odd years. Wow. So the seed was planted that day. That was unbelievable. And the last, I'll tell you that, one for 50, but, but for a long time, mm. uh, I couldn't wait for Saturday to come to get here. And as soon as the race was over, I was waiting for the week so you could go again. And that's the same that happened to all of us. All of us guys at race. Then you couldn't wait for winter to be over. That's right. Couldn't. <laughs> Jesus, that was terrible. <laughs> He'd get the last race in and you couldn't wait. And you had to wait for all the ice and snow to go away. And uh, But it was definitely, definitely uh, addictive, I'd say. It was an addiction. Mm. And I think that it's the same today. So, so um, you said you were a wind salesperson. Did that last for a long time? Yeah, that lasted quite a while. I did that, uh, let's see, that was 65. I had a 61 Volkswagen, 63 Chevrolet, and my wife never shame forgave me to this day. I traded her 63 Chevy Impala two-door hardtop for an international scout. International scout, and she's never forgiven me. Pete, what does that mean? Blame her? Yeah. (laughs) Not today. Right, right. That scout's worth two cents, and if I had that Chevrolet car, it was a 327, uh, 250 horse, nice car. And uh, How long have, um, so you and your wife, I mean, how did you guys meet? How long have you guys been together? Oh, the roller skating thing up in Auto Ave Park in Carmel, Maine. Mm. Hasn't been there for years now, but that's where I met her. 61 or two years ago, we had a long time. Wow, that's amazing. And that scout was what I hauled winds in. And that was kind of funny because there was no warehouse here then. Mm-hmm. And I, how that, I, that was, I never been in an airplane. Well, I had been my Uncle Dan, but uh, I never been in an airplane like what he had. He had a twin engine Bonanza Beechcraft. And he was a retired airline pilot, this uh, Stan Davis out of Massachusetts. And he owned that winds distributorship. And that's who Dave Libby worked for, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, he flew me from Old Town. He picked me up in Old Town, flew me down there, and he put me in uh, after about three weeks because I he had to bring out. He brought three different trips up here in two weeks, bringing me more stock because I was out selling it. And I ran out, and I'd call him and said, "I'm all out of this. I'm all out of this. I'm all out of that." What was your pitch? What was the one? Th- what was the hook? What 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 made sales take off? He had not had a salesman in the area for quite a while before I did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's why everything was empty and I was selling it. So he came up and flew me. I went up to Old Town again. He flew in there and picked me up and took me back to Massachusetts. And he said, here it is. And we loaded it. It was a 1965 Ford line van. And he took so much out of each one of my purchase orders to pay for that. So... And I got that paid off and what have you. And I did that, uh, I don't know, four or five years. Then I saw this thing that that you're supposed to do. Everybody should do things like this. Have a regular job and have this and have uh, that. Yes. Not work for yourself and do this. So I went to work for Edgeworth Tobacco Company. The guy that trained me, his name was Bob Dobmeyer. He taught me how to sell pipe tobacco and that they didn't sell cigarettes but they sold pipe tobacco and that stuff and i took the territory over and i put that on fire i'm telling you i really did and uh, and when it was on fire and i was out there doing it and i got the thing i did that for two years 
I told him, I said, Dobmeyer, I called him up and I said, I got some bad news. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. Oh, don't want you to leave. He said, you sold more pipe combinations than anybody in the country last Every fall when they go to picking potatoes and stuff and all, uh, people come in to pick potatoes and what have you. And uh, they go to the store and they buy these pipe combinations in the store. Was two packages of pipe tobacco with a pipe stuck in a blister pack. And I sold them in every store. I sold them everywhere. I sold a lot of them. Wow. And uh, so is... I told him I was going to be leaving, and I I got to thinking about it. I I took a look at my paycheck, and I had been out and really digging in trash and selling tobacco, and I said, well, you know, you dummy, I said, being me, I said, you dummy, if you had done that much work selling wind friction proofing, <laughs> you'd have made five times as much money. Were you still racing at this point? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you were racing. Oh, yeah. You were you was driving all over oh, the state. Oh, yeah. Going everywhere. Um, how much? Well, my territory was like, uh, I didn't have Waterville. I always wanted Waterville. But I didn't. I had uh, up to Waterville. Not even really Fairfield. Hmm. And there was a guy in there. I don't know who he was. But he didn't want me over there because I'd have got all his business. Well, that's one thing that fascinates me about you is your salesmanship. It seems like anything that you've been involved with, you found like a niche for it. Yeah, it's the same way with racing. Where did you learn this? Oh, I just, I don't know. No idea. Doing it. I basically, you basically learned it doing it. I, I guess so. On, yeah. Almost you on, know, the run, I mean, on the fly. You got to do what you got to do. You know, it's, it's like I was racing at Speedway 95. And I had a store in Newburgh, a convenience store. Okay. And uh, I sold that in 1970. So this was back in the 60s. Had several hot dogs there. I remember that store. You remember that? That's right. That store was just an old country store, a convenience store. Hmm. That store, I sold chainsaws. I sold a little bit of hardware. Sold Italian sandwiches and pizzas and all. You know, I had to do... Yeah. Got to sell whatever you got to sell to make a living. You got to eat. And so... Uh, I was selling chainsaws for partner chainsaws I sell. And I was over there to the thing, and I said to Reggie, Reg Faulkner, R.D. Faulkner was the guy there. He still owns the company. He's still going. He's 85, 6, somewhere around there. Hmm. And uh, I saw him oh, six months ago, a year ago. And uh, so anyway, I said, you need to go to race Reg. And because he, he was a, a car nut. But the only kind of car he likes is a Chrysler. He don't like Chevrolet, and he don't like Ford, he don't like nothing if it's not a Mopar. He's got all Mopars still. And uh, so anyway, he said, I said, you ought to come to race. Saturday night, 4th of July weekend. And uh, he said, okay, I'll bring the kids. And uh, so he, he and his wife, and he had two boys, and they all went to the races at Speedway 95 on the 4th of July. And so the kids are little, you know. And uh, so anyhow, because I told him, I said, well, you ought to put partner chainsaws on, uh, on my race car, right? And uh, I said, you know, why not get some advertising out of it? And you can help me pay some of these bills and whatever. So uh, anyway, he came to the race. And he said, and I know, I didn't know he was there, but I was hoping he was there. So I went out in a heat race. Then the heat race is like, don't pay anything. There's right. no money in there. Heat race hero. Yeah, heat yeah. race zero. That's yeah. what it was. <laughs> and so I went out in a heat race, and I rode around there, and I could drive by somebody, but I didn't really try because back then 
those tires that we had to go in a junkyard and get because nobody, you know, and they they only got one or two races in them before you got to go find another one, you know. And so I'm just driving around there fairly easy in the heat race, and uh, so uh, then it came whatever they did the fireworks and then they line up our feature and we went out in the feature and I started like I think it was 23rd or whatever and I won the race. Come on Monday. And my phone's ringing. And I, hello. And he said, you're a slow dog. <laughs> and I says, what the hell are you talking about? Because it was Reggie. And I said, what do you mean slow? He says, I watch. I will never go watch that again. And I said, really? I said, I don't understand how you can think of that. I started 23rd or 4th, and I wound up first. He says, you did? And he said, well, we don't even know what's going on. He says, they played the fireworks, and the kids was tired, so I took them home. <laughs> oh, <laughs> son so of a bitch. He's one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't know. And uh, so anyway, I said, well, pick up the Bangor Daily. There it is. Yeah, all he remembers is the heat race. That's right. all he remembers, that's the all heat he race. Remembers, yes. Yeah. You know, that's all he saw. He saw that, then the fireworks, and uh, and I didn't go nowhere in the heat race. I didn't right. try to. And so anyway, he was there the next week. And I and I knew he was there, and I said, "We are going to put a show on for you tonight." I so, <laughs> and boy, I did try. Now I got crashed. <laughs> so, so the first time I remember seeing Partner on one of your cars is when you took the red Chevelle and painted it yellow. Was it yellow? Yep. yep. Yellow. That's right. it, it had Partner on it. Yeah, it had Partner on was it. Was that yep. your first round with the sponsor? That was the first round, and he hated that, but he put the money up. But he hated it because it was a Chevrolet. <laughs> and he said, and this is how, this is coming to the kit car. This okay, is that car. was going to be the next question. Yeah, this is now. Because we raced that car, and he got partner chainsaws on it, and he was happy in hell, And uh, other than the fact it was a General Motors car. And uh, so we won a bunch of races and whatever. And he came to me, called me up, and he said, are you going to be right around there? And I said, yep, because he'd come down. And he says, I got an article to show you. I don't know what magazine he had, hmm. but anyhow, he had this magazine, and he brought it in, and see what you think of this. And uh, so, a guy named Rathgeb, Larry Rathgeb, he was an engineer at Chrysler. Rathgeb, uh, he says, is, did this article, and he's inventing this kit car thing. And the reason he's doing this, because it's because of Chevrolet, is he lived right across, basically across the street from a Chevrolet dealer. And every Monday and Tuesday, he'd watch these racing car guys going in there buying parts. Yeah. I mean, in a Chevrolet garage, they could buy all the motor parts, they could buy all kinds of stuff. And it was a hot rod shop too, you know. But anyway, he was looking at that and he sold it to all the Chrysler people. We need to do this kit car program. And he designed the frame, which ain't if it was a unibody pieces, right. but, but he took parts from A body, B body and C body and can collaborate it all together and so that it would be something that you use for a race car frame. They welded it all together and he he set that deal up so Petty did that. Petty was the guy that was the builder. Hmm. So he said, what do you think about getting a Dodge and getting a Plymouth or whatever, Chrysler? Right. And I said, I don't want it. I said, I'm, this car's winning races and it's going good. Why would I want that damn thing? He says, because that's what I want. And I said, you pay for it. Yes, sign and on the I dotted said, line. That's it, your money. Ralph, um, 
Are you the number 10 still? Are you, were yeah, you always? I was 10. Yeah, not always. I had several different ones. Mm. I had a two. 39. 39, 43. Yeah, that 39, and I had a 43. Yeah, that's what I had. Why did you settle on the 10? That seems to be your most iconic number. Yeah, I don't know. Just no idea. Okay. I started doing that. I know most yeah. of these guys that have got these numbers. Yeah. I, I thought this out. You look at uh, all these guys that raced for years. Uh, the reason they got that number on their car is that's almost always the road that leads them to their house is that route number. That's I figured that out after a while. Wow. I see lots and lots of them got 139, and this one's got this and that. Half the time, they live on a road that has a route number like that, and that's where it came from. Well, that makes sense. I mean, that's just such a – that speaks to the hometown pride of short track racing. Yeah, like, I suppose. You know, that's, that's where I'm that's, from. I'm yeah. from 139. That's I, it, you 139. Know, that's, that's cool. It. Hell, I'd have yeah. never found my way home with an X. Yeah, that's X. Right, well, no, Pete, you might have lived in a different part of the town. I want to ask you another – talk about the kit car for a minute. When you first started campaigning that, it ran good, but it wasn't exceptional. And no, can, no, no, no. It was horrible. I can, <laughs> I can remember coming up here one day. I had a Chevelle, like most of us did. Came early. I don't know what happened there for me to be here early, but testing. Yeah. With three or four people. Yeah. And about four hours after that, that was all she wrote for the rest of us for the rest of the year, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I understand those were petty. No, the, no, people. Chrysler engineer. Bill Sturba. His name was Bill Sturba. Once Reggie said he would buy it, Mm. and the price of it was like 10,000 bucks. But that was the whole thing altogether. So for those who aren't familiar with the kit car, this would be basically the first all-inclusive race car that you could buy. Yeah, that anybody could buy. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Anybody with the money? He was building them. He was having them. And there was... Well, that was... You were before then, actually. Yeah, Most right. of the professional cars were cup cars. Yeah. Mm. Well, Ed Howe was building. Ed Howe okay. was building cars, and, you know, there were several people out there building cars. But but this deal, uh, Rathgeb's dream was to get that business away from General Motors. For short track racers who would go to the racetrack on Saturday and Sunday, and then on Monday, you know, it's... it's then it's, they're going to go buy that. That's correct. Right. On like, Monday. Exactly. So they were that trying to get happen. that. That's why NASCAR got so big, I'm sure. Yeah. Is, uh, but anyhow, is uh, so Reggie said, uh, let's call him. So we called and got a hold of, I can't remember whether the first call where it was. I think the first call went to Michigan and we're talking with them. And then, and I had to be standing there because he's talking to them. And uh, back then, we didn't have all this telephone shit like we got now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, is. He's talking to this guy, and they said, well, you need to call here in North Carolina. Well, I knew who Richard Petty was. Right. You <laughs> so had to call anyway, Richard Petty? No, we're no. going to have – I'll get to it. Okay. He's a man with the hands. Is uh, In my – like, mm-hmm. the only thing I remember about him, he kept monstrous fingers. Monstrous. Had a 10-inch rotor in his hand when I met him. Wow. Yeah, 10-inch rotor, and his fingers were coming up around the edge of it. And uh, so uh, – so we called down there, and that guy's name that we got was Prout, Warren Prout. Warren Prout was working for Petty doing this program. But before that, he was a guy that ran the AMC program with Bobby Allison yeah. at Hartland. Okay. Hot shit. Smart. And Penske. Yeah. Huh? 
Probably Allison and Penske at yeah, the time. Yeah, Penske, all of them. Yeah. Yeah. Warren Prout's the guy that did that, ran that. And uh, so anyway, we talked with him, and he said, well, you ain't going to get that because the only one of them in existence is the one that Pete Hamilton's testing. That was a... Right, remember seeing pictures of that, yeah, and uh, a lot. so anyhow, and he was he was doing a number on them. There was two or three guys building motors, and none of them knew how. And uh, so anyway, uh, made the deal uh, with Prout. He says, "Well, you can come down here, and we can sell you these parts, and we'll have this frame, if you call it a frame." All it was a piece of tin welded together in little pieces, and uh, you can imagine. I got there and uh, we loaded it on the trailer, and it was it had one hoop bar on it, right like behind the driver. One hoop. That's how they picked it up, moved it around. Had a hoop bar on it, and it was wasn't a frame, but it was pieces welded together. Little pieces, you know, like rocker panels and all that shit. So it cost you ten thousand dollars, but it wasn't. No, even no, a, no, no, no. It didn't cost no, no. Okay. It was, was eighteen hundred dollars okay. when we got there. But everybody thought it was a hundred thousand and what have you, because they all thought it was a kit car. So we came home with that piece of frame and spindles and upper A frames and four torsion bars because he didn't know which torsion bars I was going to need 106s or 110s and I had those torsion bars and that stuff wasn't on it we had to put that on it what have you but but all we had was a handful of pieces it was, it was 1800 bucks and I give them the money and we left and we came home and Bobby's brother he fabricated pretty much everything we did it you know and got it got it together and I found an old duster and we scun the body off an old duster and got that welded on it. And the floor was... And when we put the floor in, the only thing we had was a piece of 8-inch plate. Got it all together. Didn't have an engine. Now we got to have a Dodge engine. Mm. I don't know nothing about them. Nothing. No, I don't necessarily like them. And uh, yes. Reggie loves them. So I found John Murray had a speed shop in Bangor called Automotion Speed Equipment. He had a drag car. I was looking around for a motor and somebody must have told him and he called me up and he says, hey, I got this motor. And I said, I don't know anything about it. He says, it's all brand new. I said, really? And I said, how much do you want for it? 600 bucks. So I said, well, like, you know, 600 bucks. I can handle that. And uh, so I bought the motor. We put the motor in the car. And we came down here. The first couple of times when we was trying to race it, it would throw the drive shaft out of it, spin a baron. It would do all kinds of shit, and it wouldn't go worth. I said, I wish I'd never seen this thing. I wish I'd never, ever had him bring that idea to me. And so, I said, it's so terrible. I call him up, and I give him all kinds of hell, too. And uh, I said, we ain't never going to win a race. We ain't never going to stay together long enough to, to finish a race, let alone win a race. This is and, fascinating uh, from the guy who's known in the Northeast as the Dodge guy. Yeah, So, but anyhow, so we, <laughs> we stayed at it, and I was having a problem with, I know what it is now, 
because I learned that. And it was spring wrap-up for them leaf springs. They were so soft, and it was so far from the center bolt to the front perch that the spring was doing this, pulling a drive shaft out of the transmission. Yep. Boom, yeah, you go. Yeah. And it goes to 7,000 and blows all up. And oh, Anyway, so that's what that servo was doing, Bill Servo was doing, yeah. We were doing them traction things on the bottom of it from underneath the... Underneath the rear end up to the thing there, so that the rear end wouldn't do that, and that stopped it, and that that took care of most of the problems. And uh, so, but I raced the first race that it was in. I think I had a hard job to finish last, really? a real hard job. Really. And the next race that I had it in is all the guys that was racing me. They'd walk by it and they'd snicker and they'd laugh, and and I felt. I didn't say nothing because it should have been snickering and laughing because it was that bad. But after Serba was here and, and we got that spring thing fixed and some other things that he knew about that I didn't is we came back the next week and I had to slow down because second place was right there. That car, after we get the first two or three bugs out of it, is we could go anywhere with that thing. And, and it was formidable. I used to go to Seekonk with it, and really, really, wow. They, people, I get letters and stuff from them people down there. Come on back, please, mm. please. We want it down here. Because really? you can stick it in the third lane and drive right around them. Yeah. Didn't you do a bunch of modified stuff? Yes. <laughs> so, you, so Steve Pellerin's with us. Georgie Murray's and yeah. Georgie Summers, right. uh, Freddie Estelle, Deke Estelle, all them guys. They're in the race. Yeah, that yeah. guy was yeah, magical. Yeah, Freddie DeSaro was in the race. Bugsy was in the race. I'm telling you, man. You beat Bug Stevens in a kick oh, car. Oh, fuck yeah. You know, uh, I mean, it's yeah, them yeah, guys. Yeah. Bugsy still uh, sends me stuff. Yeah. Uh, them guys, they had big power and big tires. And they all knew how to get around the bottom. And they didn't give a shit about outside because they got them big crash guards on in front of them. And they drive in the corner and go bang, and that guy goes up and he keeps going. Yeah. And uh, and I said, wow, I said, that, I don't like that. And so I started going around the outside with my car. And I had, I had like whatever the tires was of the day, but I had like 11-inch tires and they had 15-inch tires. You know, it was, but it was it was awesome. That doesn't surprise me because that reminds me of how you would find the niche within sales too, and yeah. how you found that in different. You're like you got to find what's what's yeah. going to work yeah. for you. Exactly, and I mean, I learned things from a lot of different guys, and I learned a lot of stuff. Uh, you know, and and I learned, I learned a lot of guys' driving styles, hmm. and and I think that that helped me probably more than, you know. Uh, more than a lot because if you knew how a guy was going to race you when you got to him, you're all ready for him. Mm. But if you didn't know, it's going to take four or five laps to figure out what the hell he's doing. Good point. One of the things George told me when I first started is always study the other guy and know what he's going to do. So yep. you know his mannerisms and his yep, habits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, give me all of the Bug Stevens references. Bobby Allison, Bug Stevens, what a great episode. That was just stage number one with Ralph. He's certainly known for his triumphs at the Oxford 250. However, there was one that he says he won. A lot of other people do, too. But have you ever heard the story of the 1976 Oxford 250? We're going to go back to 1976. <laughs> yeah, won the race, hands down. Yeah. So I, And I knew I was first, and he was second. And I was looking at 
had him driving in the pit because I was already laughing. And he went in the pit, and I went around, and I came out, and as I'm coming down the front stretch, here comes Butch Lindley out of the pit. Right. He was in the pit that whole turn. And I said to myself, I can remember saying it, Ralphie boy, keep him in sight, because there ain't no other going to win this race. Ralph Nason tells that next time out on the Open Trailer Podcast.